0: Section 8 of Twilight in Italy by D. H. Lawrence. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the Lago di Garda. John. Besides Ilduro, we found another Italian who could speak English this time quite well. We had walked about four or five miles up the lake, getting higher and higher. Then quite suddenly, on the shoulder of a bluff far up, we came on a village, icy cold and as if forgotten we went into the inn to drink something hot the fire of olive sticks was burning in the open chimney one or two men were talking at a table a young woman with a baby stood by the fire watching something boil in a large pot another woman was seen in the house-place beyond in the chimney-seat sat a young mule-driver who had left his two mules at the door of the inn and opposite him an elderly stout man they got down and offered us the seats of honour which we accepted with due courtesy The chimneys are like the wide open chimney places of old english cottages but the hearth is raised about a foot and a half or two feet from the floor so that the fire is almost level with the hands and those who sit in the chimney seats are raised above the audience in the room something like two gods flanking the fire looking out of the cave of ruddy darkness into the open lower world of the room we asked for coffee with milk and rum the stout landlord took a seat near us below the comely young woman with the baby took the tin coffee-pot that stood among the grey ashes put in fresh coffee among the old bottoms filled it with water then pushed it more into the fire the landlord turned to us with the usual naive curious deference and the usual question you are germans english ah inglesi then there is a new note of cordiality or so i always imagine and the rather rough cattle-like men who are sitting with their wine round the table look up more amicably they do not like being intruded upon only the landlord is always affable i have a son who speaks english he says he is a handsome courtly old man of the falstaff sort oh he has been in america and where is he now he is at home oh nicoletta where is the Giovanni? the comely young woman with the baby came in he is with the band she said the old landlord looked at her with pride this is my daughter-in-law he said she smiled readily to the signora and the baby we asked mio figlio cried the young woman in the strong penetrating voice of these women and she came forward to show the child to the signora it was a bonny baby the whole company was united in adoration and service of the bambino There was a moment of suspension when religious submission seemed to come over the inn room then the signora began to talk and it broke upon the italian child reverence what is he called oscare came the ringing note of pride and the mother talked to the baby in dialect all men and women alike felt themselves glorified by the presence of the child at last the coffee in the tin coffee pot was boiling and frothing out of spout and lid the milk in the little copper pan was also hot among the ashes so we had our drink at last the landlord was anxious for us to see giovanni his son there was a village band performing up the street in front of the house of a colonel who had come home wounded from tripoli everybody in the village was wildly proud about the colonel and about the brass band the music of which was execrable we just looked into the street the band of uncouth fellows was playing the same tune over and over again before a desolate newish house a crowd of desolate forgotten villagers stood round in the cold upper air it seemed altogether that the place was forgotten by god and man but the landlord burly courteous handsome pointed out with a flourish the giovanni standing in the band playing a cornet the band itself consisted only of five men rather like beggars in the street but giovanni was the strangest He was tall and thin and somewhat german looking wearing shabby american clothes and a very high double collar and a small american crush hat he looked entirely like a 'er ne'er-do-well who plays a violin in the street dressed in the most down-at-heel sordid respectability that is he you see signore the young one under the balcony the father spoke with love and pride and the father was a gentleman like falstaff a pure gentleman the daughter-in-law also peered out to look at il Giovan, who was evidently a figure of repute in his sordid degenerate american respectability meanwhile this figure of repute blew himself red in the face producing staccato strains on his cornet and the crowd stood desolate and forsaken in the cold upper afternoon then there was a sudden rugged eviva viva!" from the people the band stopped playing somebody valiantly broke into a line of the song Ripoli Sarà italiana Sarà italiana al rombo del canon The colonel had appeared on the balcony a smallish man very yellow in the face with grizzled black hair and very shabby legs they all seemed so sordidly hopelessly shabby he suddenly began to speak leaning forward hot and feverish and yellow upon the iron rail of the balcony there was something hot and marshy and sick about him slightly repulsive less than human he told his fellow villagers how he loved them how when he lay uncovered on the sands of tripoli week after week he had known they were watching him from the alpine height of the village he could feel that where he was they were all looking when the arabs came rushing like things gone mad and he had received his wound he had known that in his own village among his own dear ones there was recovery love would heal the wounds the home country was a lover who would heal all her son's wounds with love among the grey desolate crowd were sharp rending bravos the people were in tears the landlord at my side was repeating softly abstractedly caro caro ettore, caro colonello." and when it was all finished and the little colonel with shabby humiliated legs was gone in he turned to me and said with challenge that almost frightened me un bravuomo, bravissimo i said then we too went indoors It was all somehow grey and hopeless and acrid unendurable the colonel poor devil we knew him afterwards is now dead it is strange that he is dead there is something repulsive to me in the thought of his lying dead such a humiliating somehow degraded corpse death has no beauty in italy unless it be violent the death of man or woman through sickness is an occasion of horror repulsive they belong entirely to life they are so limited to life these people soon the giovanni came home and took his cornet upstairs then he came to see us he was an ingenuous youth sordidly shabby and dirty his fair hair was long and uneven his very high starched collar made one aware that his neck and his ears were not clean his american crimson tie was ugly his clothes looked as if they had been kicking about on the floor for a year yet his blue eyes were warm and his manner and speech very gentle you will speak english with us i said Oh, he said smiling and shaking his head i could speak english very well but it is two years that i don't speak it now over two years now so i don't speak it but you speak it very well no it is two years that i have not spoke not a word so you see i have you have forgotten it no you haven't it will quickly come back if i hear it when i go to america then i shall i shall you will soon pick it up yes i shall pick it up The landlord who had been watching with pride now went away the wife also went away and we were left with the shy gentle dirty and frowsily dressed giovanni he laughed in his sensitive quick fashion the women in america when they come into the store they said where is john where is john yes they liked me and he laughed again glancing with vague warm blue eyes very shy very coiled upon himself with sensitiveness He had managed a store in America, in a smallish town. I glanced at his reddish, smooth, rather knuckly hands, and thin wrists in the frayed cuff. They were real shopman's hands. The landlord brought some special feast-day cake. So overjoyed was he to have his Giovanni speaking English with the Signoria. When we went away, we asked John to come down to our villa to see us. We scarcely expected him to turn up. Yet one morning he appeared at about half past nine just as we were finishing breakfast it was sunny and warm and beautiful so we asked him please to come with us picnicking he was a queer shoot again in his unkempt longish hair and slovenly clothes a sort of very vulgar down-at-heel american in appearance and he was transported with shyness yet ours was the world he had chosen as his own so he took his place bravely and simply a hanger-on we climbed up the watercourse in the mountainside, up to a smooth little lawn under the olive trees where daisies were flowering and gladioli were in bud it was a tiny little lawn of grass in a level crevice and sitting there we had the world below us the lake the distant island the far-off low verona shore then john began to talk and he talked continuously like a foreigner not saying the things he would have said in italian but following the suggestion and scope of his limited english In the first place he loved his father it was my father my father always his father had a little shop as well as the inn in the village above so john had had some education he had been sent to Brescia and then to verona to school and there he had taken his examinations to become a civil engineer he was clever and could pass his examinations but he never finished his course his mother died and his father disconsolate had wanted him at home then he had gone back When he was sixteen or seventeen to the village beyond the lake to be with his father and to look after the shop but didn't you mind giving up all your work i said he did not quite understand my father wanted me to come back he said it was evident that giovanni had had no definite conception of what he was doing or what he wanted to do his father wishing to make a gentleman of him had sent him to school in verona by accident he had been moved on into the engineering course when it all fizzled to an end and he returned half baked to the remote desolate village of the mountainside he was not disappointed or chagrined he had never conceived of a coherent of life either one stayed in the village like a lodged stone or one made random excursions into the world across the world it was all aimless and purposeless so he had stayed a while with his father then he had gone just as aimlessly with a party of men who were emigrating to america he had taken some money had drifted about living in the most comfortless wretched fashion then he had found a place somewhere in pennsylvania in a dry goods store this was when he was seventeen or eighteen years old all this seemed to have happened to him without his being very much affected at least consciously his nature was simple and self-complete yet not so self-complete as that of il duro or paolo they had passed through the foreign world and had been quite untouched their souls were static, and it was the world that had flowed unstable by. But John was more sensitive. He had come more into contact with his new surroundings. He had attended night classes almost every evening and had been taught English like a child. He had loved the American free school, the teachers, the work. But he had suffered very much in America. With his curious, oversensitive, wincing laugh, he told us how the boys had followed him and jeered at him, calling after him. You damn dago you damn dago they had stopped him and his friend in the street and taken away their hats and spat into them so that at last he had gone mad there were youths and men who always tortured him using bad language which startled us very much as he repeated it there on the little lawn under the olive trees above the perfect lake english obscenities and abuse so coarse and startling that we bit our lips shocked almost into laughter whilst john simple and natural and somehow for all his long hair and dirty appearance flower-like in soul repeated to us these things which may never be repeated in decent company oh he said at last i get mad when they come one day shouting you damn dago dirty dog and will take my hat again oh i get mad and i would kill them i would kill them i am so mad i run to them and throw one to the floor and i tread on him while i go upon another the biggest though they hit me and kick me all over i feel nothing i am mad i throw the biggest to the floor a man he is older than i am and i hit him so hard i would kill him when the others see it they are afraid they throw stones and hit me on the face but i don't feel it i don't know nothing i hit the man on the floor i almost kill him i forget everything except i will kill him but you didn't no i don't know and he laughed his queer shaken laugh The other man that was with me my friend he came to me and we went away oh i was mad i was completely mad i would have killed them he was trembling slightly and his eyes were dilated with a strange grayish blue fire that was very painful and elemental he looked beside himself but he was by no means mad we were shaken by the vivid lambent excitement of the youth we wished him to forget we were shocked too in our souls to see the pure elemental flame shaken out of his gentle sensitive nature by his slight crinkled laugh we could see how much he had suffered he had gone out and faced the world and he had kept his place stranger and dago though he was they never came after me no more not all the while i was there then he said he became the foreman in the store at first he was only assistant It was the best store in the town and many english ladies came and some germans he liked the english ladies very much they always wanted him to be in the store he wore white clothes there and they would say you look very nice in the white coat john or else let john come he can find it or else they said john speaks like a born american this pleased him very much in the end he said he earned a hundred dollars a month he lived with the extraordinary frugality of the italians and had quite a lot of money he was not like il duro fastino had lived in a state of miserliness almost in america but then he had had his debauches of shows and wine and carousals john went chiefly to the schools in one of which he was even asked to teach italian his knowledge of his own language was remarkable and most unusual but what i asked brought you back it was my father you see if i did not come to have my military service i must stay until i'm forty so i think perhaps my father will be dead i shall never see him so i came he had come home when he was twenty to fulfill his military duties at home he had married he was very fond of his wife but he had no conception of love in the old sense his wife was like the past to which he was wedded out of her he begot his child as out of the past but the future was all beyond her apart from her He was going away again now to america he had been some nine months at home after his military service was over he had no more to do now he was leaving his wife and child and his father to go to america but why i said why you are not poor you can manage the shop in your village yes he said but i will go to america perhaps i shall go into the store again the same but is it not just the same as managing the shop at home no no it is quite different then he told us how he bought goods in brescia and in said for the shop at home how he had rigged up a funicular with the assistance of the village an overhead wire by which you could haul the goods up the face of the cliffs right high up to within a mile of the village he was very proud of this and sometimes he himself went down the funicular to the water's edge to the boat when he was in a hurry this also pleased him But he was going to Brescia this day to see about going again to america perhaps in another month he would be gone it was a great puzzle to me why he would go he could not say himself he would stay four or five years then he would come home again to see his father and his wife and child there was a strange almost frightening destiny upon him which seemed to take him away always away from home from the past to that great raw america He seemed scarcely like a person with individual choice, more like a creature under the influence of fate, which was disintegrating the old life and precipitating him, a fragment inconclusive, into the new chaos. He submitted to it all with a perfect unquestioning simplicity, never even knowing that he suffered, that he must suffer disintegration from the old life. He was moved entirely from within, he never questioned his inevitable impulse. They say to me, don't go, don't go. He shook his head but i say i will go and at that it was finished so we saw him off at the little quay, going down the lake he would return at evening and be pulled up in his funicular basket and in a month's time he would be standing on the same lake steamer going to america nothing was more painful than to see him standing there in his degraded sordid american clothes on the deck of the steamer waving us goodbye belonging in his final desire to our world the world of consciousness and deliberate action with his candid open unquestioning face he seemed like a prisoner being conveyed from one form of life to another or like a soul in trajectory that has not yet found a resting place what were wife and child to him they were the last steps of the past his father was the continent behind him his wife and child the foreshore of the past but his face was set outwards away from it all whither neither he nor anybody knew but he called it america end of section eight